Well, good morning. It is good to be with you this morning. This is, uh, in many ways, for our family, our, our church home away from home, where we're taking a week off from our responsibilities at Trinity and Hinsdale. We're always privileged to be able to worship here. And so uh, um, I always find it a privilege to be able to also, in some ways, participate in the good work that this church is doing. We are going to be looking at Psalm 4. Aaron and I are taking where are sometimes referred to as the morning and evening psalms, Psalms 3 and 4. And so I'll be looking at Psalm 4 with you. And I'll read it right now. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned to shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Would you please pray with me? Father, as we um, have just heard your word read, and as we now turn to consider it together, to meditate upon it, uh, we once again acknowledge our need of you. Even as you are speaking to us through your word, we need your help so that we might actually hear it. And so we pray that your spirit would empower us that you would show your love by opening our minds and our hearts to hear what you have to say to us, that we might be shaped, that we might be made new through you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, especially the last line of this psalm, this line that is about sleep, reminds me of a prayer that I was taught as a kid. Probably many of you learned the same prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. Are you familiar with this prayer? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Have you noticed that that is a frightening prayer? If I should die before I wake, every kid is praying that, you know, every night. That's I remember when I was a kid, I actually, in some ways, took that prayer seriously, or at least the meaning behind that. I grew up, as many of you have, in the 80s. And if you did grow up in that era, you'll remember that that was a time where still the Cold War was very real. And somehow, when I started understanding what that meant, I got it in my head that there was a real chance that at any time, Whitensville, Massachusetts, population 7,000 could become a strategic target for the Soviet Union to nuke. And so I might not be able to wake up the next morning. I might die before I wake. Now, that did not lead me to be able to just lay down my soul to sleep. That, that kept me awake. You know, I was on watch. You know, what is that noise? Could that be the sound of a missile coming? I mean, we know how that is, not, not necessarily that fear. That's the fear of a fifth grader. But we know 
how fear can keep us from being able to rest. Right? How how thoughts are just going around and around in our minds and we're like our head is on the pillow and we're trying to talk ourselves down, but it's still just going. And so we, we look at the clock, it's one o'clock, then it's two o'clock, we're frustrated, we try to do some sort of tricks, but we just can't get to sleep. Because the reality is sleeping is a letting go. It's it's a relinquishing of control, and fear does not not put us in the place where we want to do that. Which is why I find this psalm rather striking. I mean, David, as he begins it, is clearly in a place of distress, a place of fear. You know, he prays, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. This is not a, Lord, things are great, thank you so much prayer. This is a, I am terrified prayer. We don't know the situation, but we do know that David regularly was in situations where he was being chased, where he was fearing for his life. It's quite likely when he is praying this prayer, he does not know whether he will wake for the next day. And yet, even as he is in this moment of distress, look where this this prayer ends up. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. How is that? That he can be in this time of great fear, fearing for his life, and yet be able to sleep like a baby. You know, Scripture throughout speaks of a peace that is the privilege of God's people. A peace that is described as a peace that surpasses all understanding. And I think we see this piece here. That is what David is describing. And so as I've been looking at this psalm, I've been studying it, and I've been going, how? How is it that he is able to move from this place of distress to a point where he can be at such peace, such willingness to let go, that he can lie down and sleep? And I actually think this psalm points us in the direction of how we can take hold of that peace as well. There are, are three ways that we see David stepping towards finding his refuge in God. We see it as he surrenders the situation to God. We see it as he talks to himself. And we see it finally as he develops a delight in God. And I'd like to kind of show you those three steps as we kind of move through this psalm together. So first we see him surrendering his situation to God. And we all know that when we're experiencing stress, there can be different different occasions. Some of the times that we're feeling stress, we feel like we generally are able to solve the problem. That if we just work hard, we can probably fix things. But there are some times, as we know, that the situation is just utterly beyond us. I remember a few years ago, um, my youngest son, Joel, who at that time was around six, started having these these momentary pauses, these space-outs, where he just seemed to check out for a little while. And at first, we didn't really pay much attention to it, because, you know, what six-year-old boy doesn't space out from time to time? But it happened at odd occasions, like right in the middle of a, a sentence he was saying, or or while he was playing a game, or while he was eating, he would just kind of check out and... We eventually discovered it was something called absence seizures, which is, you know, a a form of epilepsy. But it was a scary discovery because some of the time these seizures are caused by brain tumors. 
So what do you do when you believe that your son might have a brain tumor? It's not something that you can kind of persuade the tumor to go away. It's not like a good work ethic will solve it. You can't fix this puzzle. There is absolutely nothing that you can do about something that desperately is important to you. I think many of us know situations like that. Maybe not that particular, but how often have you found yourself in a place where something really matters, but there is nothing you can do to fix it? Now, maybe you are in unemployment and you have been sending resume after resume and you've done everything you can and you are just waiting and it's frustrating, but there's nothing you can do. Or maybe that you are in a situation with another person, a family member or a friend, and for whatever reason that relationship is broken and you are doing everything you can, but right now really the ball is in their court and you just have to wait. It is completely outside of your control. What do you do? I mean, we know situations like this, don't we? Now, by the grace of God, we discovered that the, uh, the reason for Joel's seizures was medically treatable, and he's fine now. But in that period of a couple of weeks where I didn't know, I found myself being pushed to a situation where the only thing I could do was just cry out to God. Where there was really nothing else. That was the only productive way of moving forward, just kind of moving things towards God and saying, God, you please help me. And isn't that what David does here? Answer me when I call. Be gracious to me. Whatever the situation David is facing, it is clearly straining him. It is clearly exhausting him. And it's like he takes this box that is filled with his worry and with his fear and he staggers and he brings it before God and he drops it at his feet and he says, God, would you please help me with this? I can't do it. Because he can't. No amount of hard work, no amount of wisdom, he can't do it. He has to cling to God and surrender his situation to God. Do you know what it is like to do that? You know, I made this distinction before about some things that we're stressed out with that we have control over and some things that we don't, but that's not really quite right, is it? Because any time that we're stressed... It's because we know that there is something we can't control. We know that we might be in a place where we can work really hard, but even still we might fail, or we might be good with people, but even still we might offend. There are things that we cannot control. And that's why it's important for us to see the step that David takes in moving towards peace, the step of surrendering his situation to God. Now, now why is it that this is an important part of moving towards peace? Because the simple answer is God is much better at taking care of our problems than we are ourselves, isn't he? I mean, when David is, is praying here, he is clinging to what he knows to be true about God. I mean, notice how he describes God in the Spirit. Answer me when I call Oh, God of my righteousness. You can translate that, oh, my righteous God. My God who is faithful. He's clinging to the reality that God is faithful. And then he prays, be gracious to me. He's clinging to the mercy of God. He knows that the only thing that he can hold on to is God's character. 
And that is enough. Do you understand that Christ loves you more than you love yourself? I mean, Ephesians talks about the love of Christ that surpasses all understanding. Do you know that God is more committed to your well-being than you are? I mean, think of the number of times that we make promises to ourselves that we break. I'm going to start exercising, or I'm going to go to bed earlier, I'm going to do this, I'm going to go do that. And we keep on breaking our own promises, but God never does that. He promises to seek our own good, and he never fails. And so as we see that, as we can cling to that, then we are clinging to the one who can care for our needs more than we can. And we know that. We've experienced that, haven't we? How often has it happened for many of us that we are in a time of distress and we ask God, please help. And then to our great surprise, God does something. And we're amazed and we're overjoyed until the next moment of stress. And then we forget everything and we're frightened again. And so what does David do even as he's calling out? He remembers, you have given me relief when I was in distress. Can't we do that? When we are, are, are frightened, we can say, God, you have been good to me. Please show that goodness again. We need to surrender our situation to the God who we can trust to move from fear to peace. It's the first thing that we see here. The second step we see David taking is to, uh, from after, sorry, the second step that we see is for David to talk to himself. Um, preacher David Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, in his classic book on spiritual depression, says that one of our main problems is that we allow ourself to talk to us rather than us talking to ourselves. What does he mean by that? Well, let me read what he says. He says, Consider those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You've not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. And we know, especially in times of stress, it's, it's that way, isn't it? That there's these things, these thoughts that are popping into our mind, this overwhelming emotion that we're feeling. It is ourself barraging us. So what are we supposed to do in those moments? Well, here's what Lloyd-Jones says. We need to talk back to ourselves. He writes, you have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself. Preach to yourself. Question yourself. We don't have to believe our fears and our doubts. We can push back. And that's what we see David doing here in verses 2 through 5. He pushes back. To begin with, he, he pushes back against his doubts. He talks to his doubts in verses 2 and 3. Now, why, why do I say that? It doesn't look like there's doubts here. It looks like he's actually talking to other people. But, but think about this for a moment. As he is writing this psalm, there's not other people in the room with him. And there's not necessarily any evidence that he takes this psalm and goes to the idolatrous people that he's addressing and speaks to them. No, what's, what's kind of driving him in this moment is the echoes, the, the recollections of these people who, who are not trusting in God, who maybe in some ways are haunting him, the voices 
of them that are in his head that are leading him to doubt. We know what that's like, don't we? I mean, we know people, quite likely, people who seem to have their lives basically put together, and yet they seem to have no interest in God. People who really have looked to financial security and to their own career to give them satisfaction, essentially making that their God, and yet it seems to be working for them. And so there are times, maybe when it's late at night, where we feel the vulnerability of our faith. And we ask ourselves, are they right and am I wrong? I think David has these doubts, but he doesn't just let those doubts just kind of linger in his head. He speaks directly to them and he exposes the lies for what they are. So verse 2, he says, How long shall my honor be turned to shame? Literally, it's my glory be turned to shame. And in the previous Psalm, Psalm 3, David says to God, You, O Lord, are my glory. I think that's what he's talking here. Why? How long are you going to treat God, the one who is glorious, as one who is of no significance, with shame? How long... Will you love vain words, what is empty, and seek after lies? Do you see there's a contrast he's making? Every time that there is idolatry, every time we move from trusting in God to trusting in anything else, we're moving from the one who is weighty, who is glorious, who is real, and we're exchanging it for something that is ultimately empty. Is ultimately a lie. And for a while, we can kind of live with that. We can probably live with just trusting in the lie, the lie that whatever it is that we're putting our hope in at that moment will sustain us. But eventually, that lie will be exposed. And David exposes the lie directly by talking about prayer. He says, Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. I think if David... We're, we're speaking to us today and trying to attack our idols, even as he's speaking to his own doubts. He might say, does your bank account hear you when you call? Will your career come and rescue you when you are in a time of distress? Do you not see the emptiness of idolatry? He, he says that to himself. He speaks to his doubts and reminds himself of what is true. But he does more than that. He also speaks to his fear, his emotions. We see that in the progression of kind of like three different statements in verses 4 and 5. It begins with, be angry and do not sin. Literally, that word be angry means tremble. It's, It's referring to those times that we are emotionally supercharged, whether that's with fear or with anger. It's that feeling of we need to do something. Of course, almost never what we want to do in those moments is what we should do. And so David says, in those moments where you are trembling with emotion, do not sin. And it says, ponder in your own hearts in your beds. We know what that's like when we're stuck, we can't sleep, we're just thinking and thinking and thinking. He says, in those moments, ponder in your own hearts and be silent, or literally, be still. Psalm 37 says something very similar where it says, be still and wait patiently for the Lord. 
And that's the idea here. He's saying as, as he is in those moments, as we are in those moments where our minds are going and going, we need to quiet our souls and wait. Do you see what he's doing? He has a decidedly different stance towards emotions than we often have. I mean, in our day, emotions are the one thing we have no control over, we're told. If we're angry, we just have to let ourselves be angry. If we are frightened, we just have to let our hearts be our hearts. But that's not the way David says. David says there are things that you can do. When you are trembling, you can say, I know that I want to act, but I will not. When our minds are going and going, we can say to ourselves, self, I know that you want to solve this, but you can't. You need to be quiet, and you need to wait. And he moves even beyond that to saying, what is the productive thing to do? And in that final line of that section where he says, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. And that day, offering sacrifices was the way that we would approach God. You know, sacrifices were how you could confess your sin, could be how you could show gratitude, how you could dedicate yourself. And so what he's saying is with all of the energy you have while you are focusing on the things that you have no control over, turn that energy towards God. Focus on him, on your relationship with him. Today he would say, in those nights where your mind are going and going, instead of going and going, turn it to God in prayer and trust. See, there's a battle that he is experiencing, and he is not just allowing himself to surrender to what's going on. We think sometimes that if we have doubts, there's nothing we can do about it. If we have emotions, there's nothing we can do about it. But that is not where David is. David talks back. He speaks truth to his soul. He takes himself in hand, and he preaches the gospel to his soul. And that also is a step that we need to take if we want to move from fear to being able to rest. In fact, these two steps that we see need to go back and forth. In my experience, as we call out to God and try to surrender our situation, we find ourselves fearful and vulnerable. And so in those moments, then we need to remind ourselves of what is true and take ourselves in hand. But as we try to do that, we feel weak. And so we need to call on God and again, and it moves back and forth. But as this happens, the Spirit enters in more and more and lifts our heart and brings us to a point of peace. But yet there is one other aspect of what we see David doing that is crucial. In fact, I would say this, this third one, which actually is something that David has done long before he's entered into this time of stress, is so important that the other two will not work unless this one also is a part of the process of moving towards peace. And that is that David has, de- de- has developed a delight in God. That is, not only has he come to understand that God is the one who gives him good things, but he's come to taste and see that God himself is good. We have the question in verse 6 that's raised, who will show us some good? Or as the NIV has it, I think probably a little bit more rightly, who will bring us prosperity? That is, we want to experience good, we want joy, who will take us there? That is the question, isn't it? When we're in the moment of stress, we're afraid for our lives that we won't be able to taste joy, that that goodness won't be coming to us. And our question is, how do we get there? Who will take us to the goodness that we desire? And David immediately has an answer. It's you, O God. 
He says, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. And every time in the Old Testament when priests would bless the people of God, say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you. And David understood that what that meant was that the blessing of God supremely is found in God's face shining upon his people. The blessing of God is supremely found in knowing God. You see, you and I oftentimes get things wrong when we pray. We, we keep thinking that the primary reason we are praying is to ask God to give us good things, and the good things are what we need. But really, the good things that come from God's hand are for a greater purpose, and that is to lead our gaze to God himself. Because God is really where our joy, God is really where goodness is found. That's the testimony we see throughout all of Scripture. Psalm 73 tells us, Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you, O God. The Apostle Paul, as he's kind of come through suffering, draws the conclusion, he says, There is nothing, everything is a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. The good that we long for, the source of our joy, is found in God himself. And that's exactly what David sees. Verse 7, he says, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Sure, there might be idolaters who are able to experience the delight of things in this world, things that are good, and they're experiencing joy for right now, and maybe I might not be, but I have something far greater. Lord God, I know you, and that is the great source of joy. And I'm reminded of... of something that I read in uh, Packer's classic, Knowing God. Maybe you're familiar with this book. Uh, he writes of this one interaction he has with another professor. The professor who was passed over once again for any kind of promotion because of his conservative convictions about Christianity. And as he was talking with this professor, the professor eventually concluded, you know, it doesn't ultimately matter, for I have known God and they haven't. It's a striking statement to me, partly just because of how confident it sounds, but, but partly because of what it's saying, that there is a security, a significance that is found in knowing God that enables us to face suffering without fear. Do you know what that person is talking about when he says, it's okay because I have known God? See, until we can actually understand that even at least a bit, we are never really going to be able to rest. Because deep down, even as we call out to God, we will know that sometimes God will not do the thing that we're asking him to do. Even as we seek to cling to God's faithfulness and we remind ourselves that he is faithful, we'll also remember that sometimes God's faithfulness doesn't look like what we are comfortable with. I mean, sometimes the seizure actually is being caused by a brain tumor. Sometimes our unemployment lasts 
interminably long and leads to bankruptcy. Sometimes the relationship that we long to be healed is never resolved. And so if we are convinced that the only way for us to get happiness is for what we are asking for to be given to us, we will never be able to rest because we will know that there are times that God is going to disagree with what we think needs to happen. But if we can come to see that really what our heart is longing for, above all else, even in the midst of agony, is to see the smiling face of God. And that is the pathway to peace. Because you can be sure that whenever we cry out to God, He will give us Himself. He will be good. He will draw us near to Him. And so for us to be able to rest In quietness, we need to develop a delight in God, an awareness that this is what our soul longs for above anything else. And that means really that the pathway to a good night's sleep begins here this morning in what we are doing. Because what are we doing? We are savoring God together. As we sing, we are reminding our souls of the goodness of God. As we eat and drink around the table, we are feasting on God. And God is teaching us, yes, this is what your soul longs for above all else. We need to develop a delight in God. See, what this passage, I think, is telling us is that restfulness, that peace, is a privilege that God desires for us to experience. He invites you to take refuge in him, to surrender your situation into his hands, to take what he has shown to be true and speak to your souls, quieting your heart, to savor his goodness so that by coming to him, you will find rest for your souls. David writes, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Would you please pray with me? Father, what we see here in this psalm, what you are showing us here, these are things that we cannot do on our own. Lord, you know our reality. You know how hard it is for us to let go to the things that we hold so tightly onto and to trust you and to know that you are the good that our heart seeks above all else. And so, Father, we pray that your spirit would open our minds and our hearts, would enable us to surrender our situation to you and to rest in your goodness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.